Hey everybody, Greg Reffner on the Abstract Podcast, and we are on each episode, uh, we're going to be diving into specific KPIs um, in the contact center world. And uh, today's KPI is going to be the Net Promoter Score, and speaking with us today about that is John Walter. So John, please uh, take a moment to introduce yourself. Thank you for taking the time to talk today, Greg. So I background's in the law, practiced law for eight years, and then I got into customer support full-time about a year ago. I was outside of legal counsel to our company. And today we are advising companies on human agent outsourcing, but then also a lot of a how to blend humans and AI. And so I'm excited to talk about NPS because it's one of the few metrics that I've found to really underlie the importance of treating customers well. And so I'm more of a call center guy. And honestly, I don't think NPS should be restricted or even primarily, um, it shouldn't rest primarily in the call center environment. It really impacts where it measures the, the performance of a company in every aspect from sales to product quality to customer support and everything in between. But I've, I really latch on to it because it's something that I can use as good persuasive evidence for people in general to, to really invest heavily in treating customers well. Yeah, love that. So I, I don't disagree with anything you just said. Um, let's just back up just a quick second just to get a little bit more on that transition from um, kind of legal counsel out to kind of doing your own thing, working with call centers. What was kind of the genesis for you wanting to go out on your own and really focus on that? Interesting story. I um, I love the law. Uh, my great grandfather's a lawyer. Grandfather's a lawyer. Dad's a lawyer. Uncle's a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. Wow. I love the law. I just needed more geographic flexibility. Uh, I have a daughter who has a a, a a mosquito allergy. So I mean, she literally can have a scar develop from a single mosquito bite. Wow. And we we live in Birmingham, Alabama, most of the year. And and I was doing outside legal counsel work for the company I currently work for as chief operating officer. And I knew that there, this company had a flexible remote work lifestyle and it's a great industry to get into. And when I discovered our daughter had that allergy, I, my wife and I very quickly decided to make a career change. And so I jumped full-time into this. We, um, we bought a townhouse out in the Sun Valley, Idaho area. That's where I am right now. So we hang out here in the summers and then spend the, the rest of the year out back in Alabama when mosquitoes aren't as bad. Nice. So that's the so a mosquito bite, a single mosquito bite was the initial impetus. But it's it's a tremendous industry, great opportunities, um, yeah. especially with the advent of artificial intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you've only been doing this for about a year. So why um, why latch on to the net promoter score? as the, the, if you were to pick one KPI, like why is it that specific one? I know you gave a little bit of background on it, but let's dive into that a little bit more out of, you know, the 15, 20 or hundred that companies talk about. Why, why NPS? That's an excellent question. So when I jumped into this industry, so I was first outside legal counsel, then I'm working in it full time. And I honestly was disappointed when I started reading a lot of the literature in the field. There's a lot of consultants in this industry and i praise them. They're awesome. They do important work and they put out books that they work very hard on, but I did not find many of the books to be persuasive. And I have an eye for that and a mind for that just from years of legal training and practice. And then I came across Fred Reicheld, who wrote this book, came out maybe two years ago called Winning on Purpose. 
and it is phenomenal. He, he's the developer of the Net Promoter Score, and he's been tracking this metric that he developed at Bain & Company for, I believe, about 20 years. So he does a great job of taking objective data from the stock market and correlating that with net promoter scores that their company has been calculating and measuring over decades now and makes a very strong argument that the single best predictor of long-term business success is customer loyalty. And the best way we have to measure customer loyalty today is a simple question. And it's whether or not someone's willing to refer a friend or colleague to the company. Because when you make that referral, it intertwines a person's personal reputation with the reputation and performance of the brand you're referring. Greg, for example, I have, I've referred colleagues to your company. And when that happens, I do that because I trust you and I've gotten to know your technology and I know your work ethic and I know the quality of what you're putting out. And if you were to underperform or not it's meet the- a reflection the, on you. Yeah, it, it would reflect poorly on me. And so it's a, it's actually a, a really good indicator of, of customer loyalty. It's something that we often forget about, especially in the B2B world that abstract plays. Um, we often talk about, oh, you're selling the company. Um, well, no, you're actually like your net promoter score is a reflection of the individual user who may not have made the decision to actually buy your product, but they're using it every single day. And so it does connect at that human level. Um, so I love that. I think that's maybe one of the better explanations of why the NPS um, I always want to say NPS score, but I know that's redundant. Yeah, um, it is redundant, but it's it's uh, but I think it's it's, it's proper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's done. Um, that, that's that's fair. Um, what are some of the? Uh, so I want to get into some of the what you've seen work really well to impact NPS, and then I want to follow that along with what are some of the things you've seen maybe detract from NPS. Interesting question. So, so as I stated earlier, I'm mostly in the customer support stage when it comes to the call center. And, and so we are, you know, and it's common for companies to use NPS in the context of a phone call with an agent. So after an, an agent communication, you have a pop-up on the chat or a phone prompt if you elect to stick around to, to take part in that which will ask whether or not you're willing to recommend this, this company to a friend or colleague. Yeah. And I personally disagree. Right. I don't think it should be used in that manner. I don't, I don't think that the, you, can't t- you can't try to measure customer loyalty based on a single, single call. Okay. And, it's, and it's actually a metric that is very subjective. You have to be very careful on how you capture it. Small things about what's in the subject line of the email or in the body of the email, if you send it out by email, that can actually have a, an impact on the score. And so the score shouldn't be something that's used. You see it, I'll take a step back. You see it often used for marketing purposes. Uh, you know, they'll say, hey, you know, we have an NPS score of such and such, and they'll try to, you know, win more work based on that. You have to be very careful with this because if that is the intention, if you're developing the NPS score for the intention of trying to win new business, there's a risk that you're going to be skewing the data. And the real, the purpose of the NPS score is not to have a high NPS score. It's to get accurate insight into how loyal your customers are so that you can gain better ability to serve your customers better in the future. And I'd see the main relationship between call centers and NPS, it's twofold. 
So they are part of the customer experience at large. So, you know, everything from you, let's say you go to the Apple store, because I love Apple. This is amazing. I did a, we have um find my whatever on my phone. I looked at it. I think we have like 11 Apple devices <laughs> in our family of four. Um, it is shocking. And, and so it's a great company. And so that experience starts when you walk into the store, which is phenomenal. Another tirade. I just wish Apple could design the entire world. I wish they would take over street planning and everything in, in between. But so you walk into the store and it's a great experience. And you interact with the, the host, great experience. You get the product and they package it like it's the most magical thing on earth. And then, you, you know, you go through and then you have the user interface. And then let's say something goes wrong. And then you call customer support. That is so the NPS is only capturing, you know, when it comes to the customer support aspect, that's only one aspect of this entire journey that this, this uh, customer has been on. Interesting. And, and, and so, and so what I think it's so NPS, the relationship between customer support and NPS is twofold. It's one, that small aspect of the journey. So it has to be excellent, just like every other aspect of the journey is. But then second, it's, it is the place where you get the insight on how to improve the customer experience up the chain. And so that's where I think artificial intelligence and data analytics is very, very valuable these days, not just for call center operations, but improving NPS. So I think if you want to improve NPS, the best thing you should do is to invest, at least on the call center front, invest in data analytics technology. So first, a couple of things that I heard there. Um, why you're you're trying to measure NPS matters. If you're trying to use it as a way of acquiring net new customers, that's probably not a, a good reason. Um, if you're trying to use it as a marketing touch point, that's probably not a good reason. Um, and quick clarification on that point. So sorry to interrupt, Greg. It's good to use it if you have an excellent NPS score that is accurately gathered because it is persuasive. You know, when, when we recommend a client to use a call center, we ask for employee NPS and, and sometimes they'll have customer NPS. I just don't trust the data because I think they, I think they're generating it with skewed motives. So I, I generally will disclose that to a client. I'll say, Hey, this is what they have, but it's, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Interesting. Okay. I've never really thought about that. And then I've also never really thought about the, the kind of the experience of like Apple. I'm a huge Apple fan. Um, I refuse to ever work on a PC. I will have a Mac my entire life, but I've never really thought about the fact that you're not really asked to rate the experience until like much further down the line, but there's so many other things that contributed to that. And so that, that data point of like, you know, would you refer a friend, right? Uh, that's a, probably a horrible example for Apple, but like it doesn't really fully capture the entire experience. So that's, um, so you almost have to like, I don't know, you're kind of getting to the world of where you're tracking my every move and every single time I've been to Apple and kind of that whole experience. So that's a, that'd be an interesting one to try to solve for. Um, yeah. There's consulting firms that specialize in, in getting accurate and reliable NPS data. Okay. Um, NPS Prism is an example. If I, if I had to choose one, that's what I would choose. It's a, it's, I believe it's part of Bain & Company. And Bain & Company is where Fred Reichel work, has worked for very, his whole career, pretty much. And, and you know, they specialize in this. And so the way you gather the data is very important. And I've got a question for you, Greg. Yeah. That's cool. In the sales context, I'm very interested because your, your software is very helpful for sales teams. You know, I, I have a 
a fear sometimes because I, I, you know, we, our company, we proactively reach out to business leaders to try to make ourselves known to them that we can help and serve them. And there's a fine line between, you know, it's a numbers game. Sales is a numbers game, right? But you don't want to engage in sales in a way that actually creates a negative experience, right? Let's say you engage in a a large scale campaign to bring in new work. And, but at the same time, you scale it up. So let's say you get like a 2% conversion rate, whatever it is, 2% becomes like, you know, leads. What about the 98%? That don't that, that don't that 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 possibly that possibly by depending on how the sales campaign is is pulled off could possibly have a negative impact on the person's sentiment of the brand. Is that is that something you give thought to? Because we we're in the because the way we approach it, we solve that issue is through relationship building. We try to most of our work is through long term relationships. We try to build relationships first and then deliver value and gain trust and respect. But I'm I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective in the coming from the sales background, um, if you have any thoughts on that. So it's interesting. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Claire, our uh, VP of marketing, we were kind of working through our closed lost reasons as to why we lose deals. And we kind of listed off all of the, I guess, objective things, um, price, competitor, you know, um, timing, blah, blah. But what was always kind of been in the back of my mind is there's always this like, well, maybe I was just a horrible salesperson. Maybe I said the wrong things. Maybe I didn't respond to emails fast enough. Maybe um, the fact I sneezed halfway through my demo caused somebody to not like us. Um, I don't know how to measure that from a sales perspective other than asking them like, why didn't you buy from us? Or why did you not proceed further down the funnel? The struggle with a, a sales motion that I think is a little bit different than a support motion is at least in my experience, I have found um, people they they haven't made the investment yet, and so they're not as likely to be honest or um, wholesome in their response. Um, you know, I, I might we might find hey, you went we went with a competitor. Great, what made you go with so and so competitor? I think maybe in my entire sales career, I've gotten one or two people to actually respond back with an answer mm. on that. Um, so I think there's a, there's a, there's not an investment financially, um, in the solution. And so it's almost like, you know, I have a million other things to do with my life. I'm not going to sit here and write out all the reasons why I don't like you, Greg. Um, you know, once you get in the support model, you've made the investment, you have put in time, you have put in money, you've put, you know, you put your personal stamp of approval on this product and now it's not fulfilling the product, I'm much more likely to be honest about why I'm frustrated. That's a good point. That's a good point. I just kind of wonder sometimes how, you know, I talk to customer support leaders and they just get bombarded. They get bombarded with emails, LinkedIn messages and things of that nature. And so people trying to reach that demographic, that's what I'm focusing on now. So it's really a relationship type process. But when I, when I, when we approach it, I'm very sensitive to this NPS concept. And that's why I'm bringing it up because I see, I do see sales as an important part of the overall customer experience. Right? I mean, you could, you could argue that a poor customer experience might even start in the sales process where maybe 
expectations were not aligned or a feature was oversold or something was miscommunicated or left out in terms of a, a specific detail, right? So there might be some, and I mean, I know a lot of sales leaders who, who you know, just because they're not lying to you, they're just forgetting to tell you certain things um, in the sales process to get the deal done. And so, I mean, I've, I've bought software like that where I'm like, Hey, this didn't do this. And they're like, well, you didn't ask about it. I'm like, well, it's your job to tell me about yeah. it. Um, so I can understand that. I think it's all, ultimately it's all connected. Um, but I think there's just a, a certain level of once you've made the investment to move forward in something, you're much more likely to be honest and wholesome in why you're frustrated as opposed to on the front end, you know, you maybe only spent an hour or two evaluating a product didn't move forward with it. Like, I'm not going to spend a half an hour telling you all the reasons why, when mm -hmm. I didn't really spend all that much time coming to a conclusion of no in the first place. Yes. Yeah. That, that's a very good distinction. So um, wrapping this up um, when you've seen NPS done really well, what impact has it had on a business? You know, I don't have, I don't have a specific example to, to give off the top of my, my mind for that, for that question. Um, because, because we don't, the way, the way I've, I've approached NPS is, is more so it's a, um, as a, as a intellectual tool to help understand the absolute importance of, of treating customers well. And, and I, and I do not advocate for, you know, we are usually on the front lines of customer support. We are, we are helping companies manage large volumes of inbound contact. And, and so, and, and I don't find that to be a circumstance where I, I recommend implementing NPS. Okay. Um, and so, so I, I'm more, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the metric more from a, a larger perspective that's not directly related to my my day-to-day -day, um advice to to the people we work for okay so have you ever seen a situation where somebody should be implementing nps and they didn't and maybe why they've chosen to not focus on that metric hmm. no i don't i don't have a specific case but i do want to say that it is i it would make sense for every single company to implement this in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, ideally, you know, invite an outside professional to come and and help with the implementation just to make sure it's done properly, or, or just well educate yourself on on how to do it. But that's um, yeah, it's it's just tremendous tremendous business value. I think the two most important metrics in business, honestly, is going to be the net income need to be profitable and net promoter score. I mean, that's how that's how strongly I I believe in it. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, as we as we wrap up, anything you want to kind of add to our listeners as a, maybe a final takeaway? I would just encourage everybody to follow Fred Reicheld on LinkedIn if you're interested in this topic and to pick up a copy of his book, Winning on Purpose. It's a tremendous resource. If you're a customer support leader, you have to be an advocate for customer support within your organization. It's extremely expensive, very expensive. And you have to go to bat to fight for software, for people and everything in between. And it will provide the ammunition you need to make a persuasive argument to your executive leadership team that customer support is a worthwhile expense. 
And it might even inspire, you know, better focus on treating customers well in every aspect of the business, whether it's product quality, marketing, or customer support. I, um, I've always been blown away by companies who don't place more of an emphasis on customer support because, you know, when I look at like our customers, um, our customers are our references to other customers. They are our best source of easiest upsells. You know, they continue to grow with their use of abstract. Um, they go out and they leave us reviews on G2 Crowd, um, which serves as kind of the flywheel to help bring in more new customers. And so it's almost like I've never understood why you shouldn't, why, why companies choose to not really like invest in customers because, um, you know, they're the ones paying your bills at the end of the day. So, yeah. And I've, I've heard, I've not, I've not seen this data personally, but I have heard from someone I trust tremendously that customers who have an issue with a product or service and they call the customer service to try to resolve this issue and they have a favorable experience with customer service actually have higher rates of loyalty than customers who never had a problem in the first place. I believe it. Which is pretty interesting. So it's it's definitely definitely a worthwhile and it's a necessary investment. Not even worthwhile, this is necessary. Yeah. Especially if you think about how often, how much money companies spend to try to reach a customer, right? Advertisements and TV, it's extraordinarily expensive. Social media, print, whatever it may be. And then you have customers calling you on the phone and you're going to put them on hold for 10 minutes and then put them in contact with an agent who's who's not fully competent. Man, that's a doesn't make any sense to me either. The only the only way it makes sense is that it is extremely expensive. You know, just outsourcing domestically, for instance, you're looking at about a million dollars a month for every 200 agents. And that's just adds up. It adds up. I mean, that's a lot of money. And that's why we're we're personally excited about AI and the role it's playing to help drive efficiency, both on the conversational side and on the back-end work that you can automate. Amazing technology coming out on that front. So we that's what we do is try to help blend human and AI support to give the most efficient, high-quality customer support possible. Well, on that note, um, let's end on that. I don't think there's much more to say than that. Um, so, John, thank you for your time. Appreciate it challenging me. It's not often I get asked for my opinions on these podcasts. So thank you for, for putting that back on me today and um, appreciate uh, your knowledge today. Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for the time, Greg. Always a joy. Cool.